Amen. Amen. You may be seated at this time. And if you have your Bibles, I would ask that you would please open them up to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We've been in this series um, called Sent, uh, talking about our church and, and really what God's mission for us was and how we as a church are to be a, a sending church. Now, how many of you in here, um, how many of you in here are, um, are movie buffs? You like to watch movies. I'm not, I'm not going to have you incriminate yourself into church, into what movies you're watching, uh, but tell me if you like to watch movies. Show, show of hands, show of hands. Okay. All right. So that's, that's a good number of you. Now, uh, for those of you who watch movies any length uh, or any, um, any actor or actress that you like to watch all of uh, their movies, you will soon find out that actors and actresses have a way of being typecast. Uh, you know uh, kind of what to expect when you see them in a role in a movie, right? Some, some actors or actresses are known as the hero, always. They, they play in the movie where they're always the hero. Or there are some that are always uh, the buffoon, the comedic buffoon, and you know every single one of their movies is going to be that way. You have the wisecracking sidekick in some movies, and that's all that they play. Now, I don't have much time to watch movies anymore, but my wife and I, that was our uh, kind of pastime. We went to the movies quite frequently to see things, and, and I noticed certain things about certain actors. How many of you in here know who Tom Cruise is, right? Most of you in here. Tom Cruise, when he stars in a film, I know that I should expect a macho, insecure guy with daddy issues in every single one of his movies, Right? How many of you know Brad Pitt? Right? Most of you. When, when Brad Pitt stars in a film, I know he's going to be in some role that's very mysterious and has a really weird plot and you can't figure out what's going to happen until the very end. Every, every role of Brad Pitt. How many of you in here know Vin Diesel? Right? A, a good number of you. Vin Diesel is never going to be the articulate, witty, romantic guy. He's just not. What about Hugh Grant? Anybody know Hugh Grant? Right, Hugh Grant's never going to play the man's man in a movie. What about Nicolas Cage? How many of you know Nicolas Cage? Yeah, Nicolas Cage is never going to be in anything but awesome. That's, that's just how it is. He's just never going to be in anything but awesome, right? Now, I read an article just this last week uh, about how the church in today's culture has been typed cast. They've been typecast. For many people, the role that the church plays in society is the antagonist to progress. We are the morally regressive group of people. We are against the progress of science and, and the development of culture. And now that is not a new characterization of the church. From the very beginning, the powers that be have tried to paint Jesus's followers as hateful enemies of the state. But I want to show you that while this is not something that's new, it's not an accurate picture at all. We're going to look at the very first miracle that we see in the book of Acts. This is the first post-Jesus miracle, and it involves Peter and John healing a lame man, a man who was lame from birth. Now, physical healings occur frequently throughout the book of Acts. There are some 14 physical healings that are recorded in 12 chapters out of 28. And chapter 3 is the first instance of this healing miracle. And Bible scholars and theologians all conclude that if you understand this one miracle in Acts chapter 3, then in a way you understand every other miracle that happens in the New Testament. Now this miracle shows us how God feels about suffering in a world and what he is doing about it. And really what he says to us in that suffering. I mean, it shows us as the church what our mission is in this world. 
So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to walk through this miracle and, and I'm going to walk through specifically Peter's explanation of this miracle. And then at the end, I'm going to answer a few questions, a few questions about physical healing that I've often been asked in ministry. And so I don't have time to break down the first 11 verses, but I'm going to give to you in a nutshell what happens in, in verse number 1 through 11. So Peter and John are walking through Jerusalem, and they're walking towards the temple. And this man, this lame man that's sitting outside of the temple walls, asks Peter and John if they have any money. And Peter replies, and many of you have probably heard this, Peter replies, and he says, silver and gold have I none. I don't have any money to give to you. He says, but what I, what I do have, I am going to give to you, and the man is healed. He grabs him by the arm, he pulls him up, his ankles become strong, his legs become strong, and the man is physically healed and he begins to leap in excitement, right? He, he, he is made strong and all of these people are amazed about this healing. And word spreads and, and people begin to rush to Peter and John to the very area that this miracle occurs. And so Peter stands up. And now if you would pick up with me in verse number 12. Peter stands up and this is what he says. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. When he saw the people coming, he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health and the presence of you all. And now, brothers, verse 17, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. This is important. This is crucially important this morning. Verse number 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Verse 22. Moses said... The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And church, do not miss this. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you right now with a portion of scripture that has so much content and, and so much biblical truth and, and importance to our walk. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would illuminate this portion of Scripture, that you would impress upon our hearts areas that we need to change. But above all, Lord, I, I pray that we would recognize the importance of a relationship with you this morning. And I ask and pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Now, this miracle that we see here in the text is going to point what I call in four different directions. And I want to give those directions to you so that we can learn from this miracle and have an understanding of healing in the Bible. And so for those of you who are note takers, uh, I want you to write down the word upward, upward. It's a single word. And so church, I want you to do this with me, okay? I'll get you your blood flowing a little bit this morning. I want you to point up. I want everyone point up with me. This, this miracle first points us upward to God's authentication of Jesus. So you can put your hands down. Right? Peter said in verse number 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. This we are witness to, witnesses to, and his name is what made this man whole or strong. It is his name 
Miracles, church, in the Bible were God's validation of the apostles. It was a divine signature that we saw of the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, if we go a little bit later into the New Testament, we read in Hebrews chapter 2 this, that our great salvation was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard God bearing witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Miracles were, were God's way of saying, this is really me. This is me. And if you're in here this morning and, and maybe you've been in church for some length of time or, or maybe you've heard certain things about the word of God that either confused you or, or you went to another church and they said something completely different, let me just make a statement to you this morning. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, if you listen to this in the weeks to come, if you have two contradictory opinions about Jesus, take the one that's validated by miracles. Take the one that's validated by miracles. Because there are certain things in history so extraordinary that any reasonable consideration, you must conclude that they are divine. They are divine the events of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection would fall into that category. I mean, in my opinion, the most outstanding miracle that we see in the Bible was not somebody's body being healed, but in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you believe in God, you have to accept the possibility of miracles. I mean, a God who created the laws of the universe could certainly suspend them for a moment in time. Several years ago, when my wife and I were um, pastoring in Florida, we were over youth ministry, and, and through a certain situation, one of our pastors stepped away, and we began to oversee our children's ministry that had about 80 or 90 children between the ages of four and maybe 12. And there was a, a young girl that uh, came through our children's ministry and right into our youth ministry and, uh, when she was in sixth grade. And, and this little girl was always skeptical about everything that we talked about. She always questioned every single thing that the teacher said. Well, how did this happen? And how do you know that's real? And how, do, how about this? Do you guys know any children like that? Do you know any teenagers like that? Do you know your spouse? Like, right? They ask questions about everything. Well, this girl comes through our, our children's ministry. She hits sixth grade. She comes into our youth ministry. And one night, um, I began a series for our youth ministry on Jonah, the prophet Jonah. And we spent several weeks looking at Jonah's life. And we get to chapter two, and we were talking about how Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Right, or as we were taught in Sunday school class as children, this, this gigantic whale swallowed Jonah. And at the very end, we were doing a Q&A, and, and this girl, she's, she's sixth grade, she raised her hand, and she says to me, she says, Pastor, how on earth did the fish find Jonah at just the right time that the sailors threw him over the edge of the boat? And before I could even speak two words, that girl then says, and how on earth did Jonah stay alive for three days in the belly of that great fish with no air? How on earth did that happen? And before I could say anything, she said, and not only that, how did that whale know exactly how to, how to spit him and where to spit him so that he would land in the perfect place to go and preach to the Ninevites? How? Answer me those questions. And at that point, I was, I was kind of frustrated and rattled because I said, well, you didn't even let me answer the first question, right? And now you want me to answer all three and so all I said back to this, this little girl was God made it happen. God made it happen. And so as teenagers often are, in the smug tone and look, she replies, well, of course, if you bring God into it. 
And I began to have this conversation with our youth ministry that night about how you can't take God off the table or else you're just being closed-minded. You can't take God off the table. Which really led me to this thought that either we are committed and avowed atheists or we have to allow for the possibility of miracles. Because those are the only two categories that exist really in this world. You're either an avowed, committed atheist or you believe in the possibility of miracles. There is no in-between. I mean, God surrounded the entire ministry of Jesus with with miracles, authenticating Jesus's message. I mean, there's really no other explanation of the events of Jesus's life besides divine intervention. No other explanation. Now, having said that, the miracle that we see specifically or in the miracles that we see all throughout scripture are really there to point us back to Jesus. Amen. They're there to point us back to Jesus. And if you're looking for a solid resting place for your faith this morning, the solid resting place is in him. It's in Jesus. It's not in the miracles that happen in our life. It's about when we encounter Jesus and and we see his character and we see his beauty. It's then and only then that we're really convinced in this life. Our faith, church, does not rest on some watertight evidence for miracles. Our faith rests on the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. God didn't give you and I an indisputable argument. He gave us an indisputable person. And so let me ask you the same thing that Peter asked this group of people. Have you listened to Jesus? Are are you listening? Are you listening to Jesus? And it shall be that every soul who does not listen shall be destroyed. The one who does not listen. I, I mean, God declared Jesus to be Lord. He declared Jesus to be the only way of salvation given under heaven. And so Christian, non Christian, are you listening to him? person online, are you listening to him? Are you listening to Jesus? And so church, that miracle points us upward. Everyone put their hand back in the air. It points us upward to God's authentication of Jesus. It also points us forward. I want you to point forward. Don't poke the person in front of you. It points us forward. It points us forward to to future restoration that we see all throughout the word of God. If we go back to verse 21 here in the text, Peter says that this healing is a sign of the coming restoration of all things that God has promised. I mean, the the Jews that were around Peter and John that day, they would have recognized that very moment in time as a prophecy being fulfilled that Isaiah spoke thousands of years earlier than that, when Isaiah said that the lame man shall leap like a deer in Isaiah 35. They would have known it as a prophecy that was fulfilled. And Isaiah explained, listen church, I'm going to encourage you to go back this week and read through the book of Isaiah. I'm going to encourage you to go back and read through it. Study it out. See all the prophecy that Isaiah speaks about in the the end times and the things that are to come. It's a beautiful, beautiful book that was written by a man who was humbled in the very presence of God. Isaiah explained to us in probably one of the most well-known verses outside of John 3.16 that the Messiah would come to purchase the healing of the whole world when he said in Isaiah 53 that it is by his wounds or his stripes that we are healed. I mean, through all of Jesus' work, all of it, all of the pain of the earth would soon be reversed. Amen? I want you to listen to these words of Isaiah. He says about this, about the end times. He says that the lion will lay down with the lamb. 
The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into a viper's nest. And neither will harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah goes on to say that the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground will become a bubbling spring. But listen, he says, look around you and see. For all your children will come back to you. And they will carry your little sons back to you in their arms. And they will bring your daughters on the shoulders of angels. That's the future, church. That's the future. But, and, and this is important. Does that mean that from now on, every person who believes in Jesus will be healed? It's a question that we have to answer. And you're right, the answer is no. Because this healing was a sign. There were a lot of sick people that day in Jerusalem, but Peter healed only one. He healed only one. It is a sign of the full restoration coming to the future. And Jesus' miracles were not simply magic shows about how powerful he was. If Jesus simply wanted to prove his power, he could have written his name in the sky. Or, or, or he, he could have lifted up the temple right there in that moment. Or, or Jesus could have caught bullets in his teeth. Or he could have helped the Detroit Lions win a Super Bowl. <laughs> but he didn't do any of those things. Every miracle that Jesus and the apostles did was an alleviation of suffering. An alleviation and they, they pointed to God's saving purpose on this earth. I've heard it said that Jesus' miracles did not show off the naked fact of his power. They just revealed the redemptive purpose of his power. Jesus healed the leper. I mean, he cured blindness. He, he stopped storms. He, he raised the dead. These miracles show us that, that God is no happier with the world's condition as we are currently right now seeing all of these same things happening. God never created a world that was riddled with pain or blindness or disease or death. All of those, all of those things came through the corruption of sin. All of them. I mean, pain and disease are not natural to a world now red in tooth and claw. It's foreign. All of it is foreign. And the miracles that we see in Scripture point us to a world as God created it to be. To a world that God wanted it to be. And glory, hallelujah, a world that will one day be again. How many of you in here know uh, the name of um, Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor um, and author that just passed away recently from pancreatic cancer. A man who was a giant of the faith in our culture. Tim Keller, near the end of his life, said that miracles were not a suspension of the natural order, but a return to the natural order. Tim Keller and his family prayed that God would heal his pancreatic cancer every day. And if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, typically it's terminal and it's terminal quick. God let him live for three years beyond his stage four cancer diagnosis of, pancreas, of the pancreas. For three years, he was still able to pastor and to write and to share the gospel with people. And that's what he said, I know I know the healing that I'm going to see one day may not come in my physical body, but it's going to be when I stand in the presence of my maker. Jesus' healings, church, are, are the only natural thing in a world that is unnatural. His healings are the only natural thing in a world that's been demonized and wounded. And so 
to those of you who are here this morning. To those of you who are here in physical pain. To those of you who are here in emotional pain. In mental pain. That is your greatest hope and your sustaining joy that this life is temporary. That it's temporary. How many of you in here know a, na- um, a, a lady by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata? Okay, so some of you, I'm glad that a lot, not a lot of you raised your hands. So I'm going to tell you about Johnny Erickson Tata. She was a very gifted and, and very smart 17-year-old girl who um, was in a freak diving accident while she was just swimming with her sister on a lake. And she dove into shallow water, not realizing that it was as shallow as what it was. And she broke her spine and her neck, and she was left a quadriplegic and had no movement from the neck down. She couldn't use her arms, her legs anymore. Uh, if, I, if my memory serves me correct, she was uh, prepared to become uh, an Olympic swimmer because of how gifted she was at swimming. Completely paralyzed, rushed to the hospital. They told her that she would never walk again. At the age of 17, in her biography, she says that she wanted every night to commit suicide, to end her life, because she could not see a purpose in how God would allow this to happen. And she said every night her mom would walk out of the hospital room and she would ask her mom to put all of the lights off so she could feel what it would be like in complete and utter darkness, like it would be death for her. I just finished reading her biography and she said that it was because of this specific accident that she was drawn to the Lord. Crippled but drawn to the Lord. And she went as far as to say that that accident, leaving her paralyzed, was the greatest blessing that she'd ever received in her entire life. The greatest blessing. I want to read to you, because I I was shocked. I was shocked at something that she said. I had no words in the moment. She wrote in her biography that at the great marriage supper of the Lamb, the first thing that I will do on resurrected legs is to fall to my glorified knees and praise the God of healing. And then I'm going to stand and dance before him with all of my might. That's the future for each and every one of us. A future without pain. Do you want that? Do you want that future healing? Wherever you are, because deep down, each and every one of us was made for that future healing. Every single one of us. To be in a space without brokenness and without pain. And to me, that's where atheism completely and utterly falls apart. Because every other religion does not offer hope for a longing that is inside each and every one of us. It's like it's too bad, it stinks to be you, and then you die, and then it's all over. Uh, There's nothing for you at the end of any other religion here in this world. But for the people of God, he says that freedom and restoration is what I have coming for you. That's what I have coming for you. It's what I created you for in heaven. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more disease. No more sickness. And if that's you, if that's you here, and you want that healing, then you can run towards Jesus because it's only found in him. Only. And the one who goes to Jesus and surrenders to him as the one who receives that. Which leads me to point number three. 
Not only does this miracle point us upward and forward, it points us inward. It points us inward to our soul's need of salvation. Now bear with me for just a moment because I want to attempt to explain something to us. The physical ailments that we see here on this earth point to a heart condition of every single one of us. I mean, some people are physically blind, but the the author of Ephesians tells us that every single one of us is spiritually blind. The physical sickness of our body points us inward to a sickness that we see within our souls. Now, please do not hear uh, what I'm not saying. I don't mean that if you are physically sick, that there's something specific that God is punishing you for. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that physical sickness in general is on the earth because of the sickness of man's souls. I mean, the miracle is a message about the salvation that that Jesus can bring to each and every single one of us. I mean, if we go back and read those first 11 verses of Acts, the lame man asked for money. That's what he asked Peter and John for, money. And Peter's like, I don't have any money. What you want from me is good, but what I'm going to give to you is far better. It's far deeper than anything money could ever buy you. And instead of, of, instead of finding money and giving it to this man, they gave him physical healing. And, and eventually, in chapter 4, we see this very lame man becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest gift, being a disciple. I mean, as bad as suffering is, there is something far worse, church. And that's being crippled by your own sin. It's far worse. And as great as physical healing is, there is something far greater than physical healing, and that's soul salvation. Amen? Soul salvation. I mean, imagine with me for a moment. Imagine that Peter walked up to this guy and he says, I don't have any money and I can't physically heal you. But I can tell you that if you trust Christ as your Savior and your sins will be forgiven, you'll have eternal life. We might read that text and and think, well, that's much less moving. That's much less spectacular. But then I want to ask the question, is it? Isn't the salvation of a soul greater than a temporary alleviation of pain on this earth? Isn't it? I mean, sure it is. Sure it is. And I want to show us, I want to show us here in this passage that it is greater. The salvation of a soul is greater than temporary healing. This guy was sitting by the temple each and every day looking at people walking in and out of the temple. That man probably thought if I could just walk, I would never be unhappy again. But is that even true? I mean, just about all of you in here have the ability to walk, but many of you are still unhappy. So walking does not equate to happiness. It doesn't. That guy could have been walking for a month and would have been like, man, this is lame. Walking around, everybody else is walking around. This is lame. I mean, we, we all have something in this life that if we think we get it, that it will satisfy us, right? But many other people have those same things and they're still not satisfied. We need something far more than physical healing. We need something far greater than money, something greater than, than having a spouse that does everything that you want or children that always obey you. We need restoration to God. That's what we need, church. In fact, I will tell you that physical healing without soul healing is worthless. It's completely worthless. It may even be harmful. Well, pastor, how on earth can you say that? Well, because Satan is willing to alleviate your momentary suffering in exchange for your eternal suffering. 
That's how. I mean, I, I could say to you, similar to what Peter said, I have the, I have the ability, uh, the ability to, to physically heal I may not always have with me. But such as I have salvation in Jesus Christ in my life and the forgiveness of sins and peace and intimacy and friendship with God and inheritance that's incorruptible, that can never be taken away from me, I can give you that all day long. I can give it to you every day. And is that not the greatest of all gifts? Amen. I don't mean to minimize your pain in here this morning, but whatever pain that you are going through right now, whatever it is, the richest of all possessions is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And so this miracle points us upward, and it points us forward, and it points us inward. And lastly, I want you to just point at the ground. It points us downward in the direction that we are supposed to go in our mission. You, do you think that Peter and John were rewarded for this miracle? We're going to see maybe when we jump into this next chapter in chapter number four, that Peter and John received no reward. They received no praise. There was no CNN or Fox News interview with, with Peter and John because they healed this man. There was no Time Magazine, you know, cover that said, Men of the Year, Peter and John. No, there was none of that. In fact, in the very next chapter, they are promptly placed into prison because they healed this man. Uh, a little bit of bad news for those of you who um, are maybe really excited about the book of Acts as we're just early on in studying this. A little bit of bad news. The miracles in Acts that we will see always get the miracle worker in trouble. Always. Every single place. I mean, that, that's different than our hero stories, right? The ones that we see in our culture. The, the one who gets the superpowers becomes almost nearly invincible in the movies that we see, the, the stories that we read. Well, when God gives us power, it makes us vulnerable. As power comes to us through the Holy Spirit, we start to suffer. I mean, in order to relieve this man's suffering, the apostles themselves had to suffer. The same was true of Jesus' ministry. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and from that very point on, they were determined to kill Jesus. From that very point on. Tim Keller said that the taking of Lazarus out of the grave put Jesus himself into it. And when Jesus healed the woman... Do you guys remember when Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood? You guys remember how she, she pushed her way through the crowd and she just said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Do you guys remember? Do you guys remember what he said when she touched him? The scripture tells us that the power went out from him. Something was removed from Jesus so that this woman could be healed do you know what we call that in Christian circles? That's substitution. That's substitution. One voluntarily suffers so that another might live. I mean, Jesus poured his entire life out so that you and I could be saved. This guy here in the text got to walk. Peter and John went to prison. And so healing for the world will come as life and power and money and opportunity goes out from you and I. We're supposed to pour out our money and power and opportunity as genuine sacrifices to the people around us. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but in the Christian life, you will soon come to know that when you enter into somebody else's pain, when you begin to bear somebody else's pain, there's often some sort of healing in that person's life through that when there's been support from another person. Now, I, wanna, I do want to address something, though, because I hear people talk about frequently about how they gave and then God blessed them because they gave. And I think that's great. I think it's great. We, we, should, we should give to other people as we have the means to do so. 
But in so many of those conversations, those people make it sound like there's some guarantee that obedience to God will always lead to more riches or greater comfort. And that's false. Our giving leads to genuine sacrifice. And that shouldn't surprise us. The sacrifice shouldn't surprise us. If you've, met, if you've listened or understood nothing at all that I have said today, I want you to take away this one specific thing. So stop playing the game on the cell phone. Get off social media. Stop looking down. I want you to just look at me for a moment. Because this, this spiritual truth, if you learn this one truth, you will understand so much of life. The healing of the world comes through the sacrificial death of the church. I'm going to say it again. The healing of the world comes through the sacrificial death of the church. There's someone that you need to forgive. That's going to really cost you. But God is going to bring life to others through that sacrificial act of forgiving. Some sacrifice that you need to make of, of money or, or time, it's not going to be easy. But God is going to bring life to others through your sacrifice. By the way, it's not always a voluntary sacrificial offering that you make. Sometimes you suffer and you're like, God, why on earth is this even going on? Anybody been in that place recently? Like, why? Did I do something wrong why are you allowing this? And the answer is, no, I've got a bigger plan and purpose in that situation than you can see. And the suffering that you're walking through right now is going to bring people to Jesus if you allow him to use it. I mean, how you suffer in this life is going to show how much joy goes beyond the pain in this life. Your suffering is not always about your sin, but it's always about God's glory. And God's purpose is never, or is not punitive for you, it's always redemptive for others. Okay, so pastor, the miracle teaches us that it's, it's always to God first, right? And then it teaches us where to go. And it teaches us to, to look inside of ourselves and then directs us in our mission. And so using what we just learned, I want to answer a couple of questions that I'm often asked about healing. And then I want to show you what this means specifically for us and then I'm going to send you. The first question I want to answer for us today is, does God still heal? And the answer is yes. There's nothing at all there's not a single verse that you could point to in the Bible that indicates that God has stopped healing people. Amen? And yeah, that, that was really weak, people, for, for being excited about God still healing, right? Let's try that again. God still heals. Yeah, yeah that's better, right? Which leads me then to my next question. Why does God heal? Why does God heal? Well, God heals for multiple reasons. He heals first and foremost as an act of love and mercy towards the person who is suffering. That's one reason. He also heals as, as validation for his servants. We see these in scripture. God also heals as a sign of the coming kingdom of God. He also heals as a witness to non-Christians, both as a warning and as an invitation. He also heals to motivate you and I who are followers to worship him. To worship him. And all of those are valid reasons. Different healings occur for different purposes, but they're all valid. Which leads me to my next question. Should hope, please don't miss this. Should hope of supernatural healing ever replace normal medical procedures? No, never. The Bible never, ever, ever says don't take care of your physical body. In fact, the man who wrote this book, Luke, was a doctor. He was a doctor. 
And so in me, for me, what, well, pastor, what do you do? I pray for both. I pray for physical healing while that person meets with the doctor and that that doctor and those nurses have wisdom to know what to do. And then I pray for that individual that they actually follow those instructions when they depart from that doctor's office or that hospital, that they follow through and do what's, what's been asked of you to do while we continue to pray that God would healing, that healing from God's touch would still be upon that person's life. Which then leads me to this, will every person who prays in faith receive healing? Yes and no. What? How can it be both? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to explain. Yes and no. Eventually, yes. Eventually, yes. The day is coming when God will restore all things. The dead in Christ will rise incorruptible. And there will be no more disease or pain or mourning or crying. And so long term, yes. In the short term, the answer is no. Because God sometimes has bigger purposes on this earth than giving you and I physical healing. Sometimes he allows us to know him better through our pain in this life. And sometimes he uses that suffering that you're walking through to bring other people to himself. Which then leads me to this last question. What part of the church's mission should be focused on healing? Please do not misunderstand me when I say this, but all of it. All of it. Which brings me back to the very start of this message. The church has been typecast as the antagonist for, pro for progress. What we should be known for is the healing that we bring to Ionia. Here, specifically for us. Yes, we must be faithful witnesses as we warn other people about what is to come. Sometimes, church, we have to preach the unpopular message. Sometimes we have to speak things that are counter-cultural while never ever straying from truth. And all the while, while we're doing those things, at the same time, we bring massive outpourings of compassion and help into our community. Ionia should look at the well church and say, I don't believe what those crazy people at the well believe, but thank God they're here in Ionia. But thank God they're here. I and mean, we here at the well want to be known as a place where those who are broken can come and be connected to Christ in those everyday moments of life. And we should be able to say to our community, you need counseling, we'll help you with that. You need, you need job training, let us figure out how to help you with that. You need a bag of groceries, let us help you with that. You need a safe place, let us help you with that. You need parenting insight or, or rehabilitation or, or medical care. Let us help you with that. You need community and, and friendship. You have questions and, and doubts about God and about faith and about Christianity. Come, let us help you with that. You have a, an addiction. You desire a fresh start. You have a vision to help other people. Come and let us help you with that. Church evangelism and discipleship flourish best when the church gives itself to works of mercy. And so let me close by saying this. Peter's main message in this miracle was repent. It was repent. You've been wrong about Jesus. Maybe you haven't been paying attention to him. Maybe you've written him off as someone that you'll get to later when you have time. But Jesus is, saying, or Jesus is saying that I died to rescue you and to save you. And I was raised from the dead by the power of God in me. And I am Lord and without me you're lost. You can't push Jesus away. He was raised in power to put you in in the right place and, and start your life in a way of his purposes and be used for his mission. And so 
I'm going to just say this. Repent. Change your heart towards Jesus Christ. Listen to his message because heaven is warning us. It's warning us to come home. To come home and be used by God for his plans and purposes, not our own. And so are you listening? Are you listening today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your son sacrificed his life for us. Lord, we, we oftentimes go astray or we have misperceptions or misconceptions about you and about your word. And so, Lord, use this portion of scripture and, and, and this message today to, to impact us, to challenge us, to help us to rethink it. But, Lord, also give us the strength to take the challenge from earlier and begin to read and study out the book of Isaiah. And to see what your word tells us about our future. As believers, Lord, we should not fear coming home to heaven. We should have an, an urgency about those who don't know you. We Give us that urgency. Give us a heart for people who don't know you. And invite them to come home to Jesus. God, use Use our church, use our, our small groups, use our, our teens, use our children, use, use every individual sitting in this room to be your hands and feet. God, as we impact Ionia with the gospel, help us to learn here, receive our, our quote-unquote orders here, and then go out, God, onto the battlefield where there's war raging right now. We see it in the physical, God, but there is so much more going on in the spiritual that we do not see. And so, God, I'm asking that we would know to put on the armor every moment, every day, every time we wake up, that our head would be covered with the helmet of salvation, that our heart would be covered by the breastplate of righteousness, that we would have the shield of faith standing with us, that our feet would be ready with the gospel of peace, that we would have on our belt, God, that would keep it all together and then help us to use the sword, our only offensive weapon. And as your word tells us, let us not neglect prayer, but praying always. So Lord, let us, let us prepare for war. Let us prepare for battle as we seek to bring people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen and amen.